Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Big news of the weekend. Renowned doctors agree with renowned doctors. Unbelievable tweet from my guy, Aram Layton. We're talking about the Carlos Correa mess. We're talking about the Dalton Varsho trade from the Arizona Diamondbacks to the Toronto Blue Jays and who the Diamondbacks got back and all of that, as well as the best five remaining free agents. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever holiday you're celebrating, we're glad you're listening to us. I'm Peter. That's Arm. Arm, before we get into anything, how was your Christmas, brother? It was good, man. It was good. It was nice just knowing on Christmas Day that there was going to be no developments on the Korea stuff so I could unplug and just enjoy my family. Um, You know, I I was I was afraid we might get some like updates here and there. And I'm like, dude, I I do not like I'm I'm excited about the whole conversation. And I think it's really fascinating. But man, it was nice to unplug for a little bit, honestly. Right. Like just enjoy family. Um, I feel a little rejuvenated already and and ready to just kind of talk baseball, but it was really special to be down here. Cold for Florida standards. Uh, Iguanas were frozen in our front yard, which is super scary because they're not dead. They just like go into like hibernation and they can wake up at any moment. So I was trying to make sure the dogs don't bring them in the house because then they warm up in the house and then they run around. So uh, Florida people, when it's under 50 degrees, don't know how to act. That was fun to witness coming down from New York. But uh, it was great, man. How about you? I had a good one. You know, I actually was able to golf uh, one of these days. I golfed yeah. on Christmas Eve. Um, it's 70 degrees here in California. It's and that's always there why. Than it is here. Literally. And that's why. But enough about iguanas. Enough about weather. Let's talk about Carlos Correa. So the big news. Carlos Correa. Signed a big deal with San Francisco Giants, 13 years, $350 million. Then they had a press conference to announce the deal on December 19th. They come out, they say it's postponed. People are like, what's going on? I know I had some weird tingles happening. And then we found out the news. The New York Mets signed Carlos Correa. And the reason I brought up your tweet is because it perfectly encapsulated this situation. The Mets and Scott Boris deep into the night, had a conversation about moving Carlos Correa from the Giants to the Mets after the Giants had a difference in opinion on Carlos Correa's physical. Mm -hmm. And then the Mets are now a little bit nervous. And that's why I thought you had the perfect tweet, because it's like these doctors aren't different from these doctors. It's going to be the same issue. So let's talk about what was your initial read when you found out? Yeah, man. I mean, that's what that's exactly why I had those thoughts. I was I was just really thinking about it from the perspective of, okay, if, I, if I'm in, in control here of the New York Mets and I find out, hey, you know, the, the San Francisco Giants, who we just recorded an episode, you and I recorded, just talking about what a big addition Correa, you know, would have been for the Giants and, you know, how he can become that, that face of the franchise that they needed so badly, right? And then all of a sudden, the Giants, you know, get cold feet because of what we saw or, or what they saw in, in that physical the, the Giants wanted Correa. That's why they offered more than anybody else. It's not like they got cold feet money-wise. They know what they're offering. That doesn't happen in, in professional sports. When they offer a deal, they know how much money they're offering. They already thought that through. So I thought that theory, and, and that was something like, oh, maybe the Giants you know, realize that they don't want to spend that much. No way. What happened is they got concerned in the physical, which which happens often, right? It, it happens a lot. But what, what blows my mind more is, is the Mets side of it, right, where the Mets – 
are expecting it to be what? You know, what did they think was going to happen when the San Francisco Giants doctors, who are going to be just as good, if not better than the Mets doctors, had the same concerns, right? Were you expecting Correa to come over and it's just a bone bruise? And they're like, oh, I don't know why the Giants overreacted so much. That's so weird. Obviously, there is a legitimate issue. I don't know how bad it is. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor and I have no idea. But if another major league team has significant concerns and are willing to nix a major, major, major deal and deal with the PR blunder that comes with it and obviously aggravated fans and a lot of things that come with that, it must be a pretty concerning thing on their $350 million investment. So it just seems so, so classic, right, where the Mets end up seeing the same exact thing. And as we are recording this at 3.50 p.m. on December 26th, there's not much clarity. It's, it's all we really know is that the Mets and Correa are motivated to get a deal done, which we expect that to, to be the case. But it's just very ironic that they have the same concerns that the Giants had. And of course they do. So here's the issue. So the um, we at least got more information about the exact injury mm-hmm. that the Mets and the Giants are worried about. So when Correa was 19, he had arthroscopic. It's a tough word. Yeah, you know, it's Monday. It's after the Christmas break. Forgive me. Arthos, arthroscopic surgery to repair a fractured right fibula and minor ligament damage after he hit a triple in June of 2014 when he was 19 and he was still in the minor leagues. Um, And then Jeff Loonhow, the Astros GM at the time, said that the fracture was actually closer to his ankle than his knee. And this is according to Athletic. He even made a reference to he has a plate in his leg. Um, Correa told reporters, he just hit my plate. I had surgery and he hit it. Just felt kind of numb, vibrating. So I was waiting for it to calm down. It was a little scary, but when I moved, I knew it was good. And the thing is that Correa hasn't really had any issues or at least IL stints relating to the same injury. He tore a thumb ligament in 2017. He had a back thing in 2018, and he only appeared in 75 games in 2019 because of rib and back injury. So he's never had anything concerning to this. This has been a lingering issue. But Carlos Correa did sign that three-year deal with the Minnesota Twins with opt-outs, but we never heard anything about it at the time. But I think with the deal like that, there wasn't as much of a concern, right? It's not a 13-year commitment with no opt-outs and a no-trade clause, right? You know, if he he gives you as good as he can in this season, and we'll see what happens. If he gets really hurt, yeah. I mean, we'll probably keep him because Carlos Correa, but at the worst, you only have him for three years. This is a much different situation. And now, both teams have the same issues. So I think the question that everybody is wondering is what will Scott Boris do to combat this? But then what will Steve Cohen do? Because Steve Cohen at the same time kind of planted his flag, right? He came out and said like, well, of course we're going to get Carlos Correa. I'm not sure the exact quote, but he basically he said it makes us better. He's like, this is the piece we needed. Like we're we're piece. great now, um, and which, I'm going to spend more and all of that kind of stuff. Which I don't have the rule book in front of me, but apparently there are some implications in terms of like tampering and whatever because the ink didn't dry. So if he doesn't sign with him, and he already spoke on a signing and, and him being a New York Met, and he's not a Met then I think there's some implications there, which is even funnier because that's the craziest part. And and I love the ambition of Steve Cohen, right? I love how passionate and and how excited he is to make this team good. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. And we've talked about that, but at the same time, it's a business, right? And you got to be pretty calculated. And I think Steve Cohen got ahead of himself, right? Because I was reading some of the stuff from Rosenthal and Heyman. And, you know, it sounded like, a lot of the front office members kind of woke up to Steve Cohen saying, oh, yeah, hey, I, I kind of got this uh, deal down to the goal line with Carlos Correa if you wanted to be on this team. And of course, every every guy in the front office is going to say, absolutely. Yeah, like, let's, let's add, add Correa here. But maybe it was getting a little bit ahead of yourself here when you just saw the deal fall through with the Giants who desperately needed Carlos Correa or a player of his caliber, missed out on Judge. And again, I think you got to take a second to, you know, you're excited. You hear Correa is available. You want to go try and and pick him up, right? Of course, that's exactly what Steve Cohen wanted to do. But I think you have to take a step back here and think and be like, okay, if the Giants were really willing to nix this deal and said, all right, see you later, good luck wherever you go, there's got to be a more concerning red flag than oh, differencing of a difference of opinion here. You know, maybe our doctors won't be as worried with it. Uh, that's 
probably not going to be the case. And I think the physical, as you mentioned, for a 10-year deal, it's going to be a little bit more encompassing because it's a big investment. All the money's guaranteed in baseball. And uh, it was. And, and all of a sudden now, you know, there's there's more concerns with Correa. I'm interested to see from the Boris standpoint, how do you how do you pull this off? He did something similar with J.D. Martinez uh, in a way that they were able to structure the deal after concerns with a foot injury uh, when he signed that hundred plus million dollar deal with the Red Sox. Obviously, this is going to going to be triple that or that it's supposed to be triple that. So is are there is there a team option five years in? Uh, is there a way that you know the team can protect themselves financially a little bit? This is where I want to see, and I know people don't like Scott Boris, but he's the GOAT of baseball agents. I want to see what the GOAT can pull off here. Like, I'm excited to see the magic that he can try to pull off here to get Correa the money he wants and at least some sort of guarantee, you know, but also you're going to have to give up a little bit here. Clearly, uh, if if two team doctors, you know, sets of team doctors are concerned, I guarantee the third team that looks in here is going to be concerned as well. So um, I'll turn it on you, Peter. If you are a general manager or an owner, and and I know it's not it's not our money, and we don't even know what it's like to have that much money, so it's hard to it's hard to kind of think about. But just for the sake of the conversation, how many years would you be willing to give Correa based on just what we know? Let's let's assume that you know, I think we have enough with the leg injury to know it's a red flag, but he has played a lot of games the last two years at a high level. Um, yeah, that doesn't mean it's going to hold up for ten years. But it also could hold up for 10 years. I'll never forget Dolphins doctors, I'm I'm traumatized from it, saying that Drew Brees, his shoulder was done. He's not going to be good. He's not going to be able to to, to survive the contract. He might never be the same. Go get Dante Culpepper instead. And that's what the Dolphins did. They went and got Dante Culpepper, Drew Brees, Hall of Famer. Dante Culpepper was gone in less than two years. So, you know, we've seen doctors be wrong about these things, and it's really hard to predict how a human body is going to age, especially when we're talking about some of the greatest athletes in the world. And Correa is one of those. How many years are you giving this dude? So it's such a hard question because we don't know all the information, right? Like we don't know the true meaning of this injury and what it means long term and how important these certain ligaments and joints are for how a 36 year old Cray is going to look like. We don't know how these things age. That's why we're not trying to play doctor here. All we can do is just we have the information in front of us and we can make our best guesses based on just being around the game enough and, and trying our best. But here's my thing. And this is why you said it at the beginning. And I still have some conspiracy theorists ism, whatever that word is in my head, because we know that the Giants had the medicals at the beginning, right? Like we knew that they had at least most of the information and then they did a double check. So whether it's right or wrong in my head, there's a part of me that still believes that the Giants strictly got cold feet and that this injury isn't as bad that they thought to themselves, do we really want to invest $350 million? Like it needed for them to be absolutely perfect for them to do this kind of investment because with Steve Cohen and the giants like, or Steve Cohen and the Mets, excuse me, they've blown so far past the $293 million threshold or 294, whatever the fourth largest where you have to basically pay 70 cents on the dollar, 90 cents or some crazy tax threshold. Do I truly think that this injury, if Correa had history of, Oh, this thing keeps getting hurt. This thing keeps getting hurt. Then I have another issue. If it's been eight years and he got the surgery when he was 19 Mm -hmm. and he's never had a problem with it. Yeah. I don't mind giving him the 12 for 315 because I truly believe he is one of the better players in the sport. Now, last year when we were comparing Cray and Seager, the reason why I was saying, I think Seager is going to get more. And I don't know if I'd really give Correa is because he hadn't been super healthy up until that point. Remember, he had the full 60 game season and then he had a he had a very solid 2021. But that was it. That's all we had. So then I thought, I want to see him do it again. That's why he signed the three year deal. And then he did it again. He played 136 games and he had a covid out. Yeah, so it was he, part he would have played 140 plus. Yeah, exactly. And he I think he played 136 of the 142 remaining. Like he missed a little bit of the beginning from covid when it was all around. So like I basically view that as healthy scenes. So I was like, well, he's performed every single time he's been on the field. He's now been on the field three straight healthy seasons. Yep. His playoff acumen is incredible. And this reoccurring injury hasn't reoccurred. It happened in 2019. So for me, 
there is a part of me, whether it's true or not, that think the Giants straight up got cold feet and that this injury is blown a little bit out of proportion. Then, I don't know. That's how I then feel. What, then what are the Mets? My doing? feelings. Then what are the Mets doing right now? I think what they're doing is Steve Cohen had a martini or four in Hawaii. Yeah. And he got on the phone with Scott Boris, Scott Boren, the amazing agent that he is the best that we have in the game. You can like him or you cannot like him. It doesn't matter. We all have to respect that. He is the best in the game. Yep. Might be the best agent in sports mm-hmm. might be the best agent in sports history. Mm-hmm. I know that's a lot, but he might be when you look at the dollars, he's, so he's worth half a billion dollars. <laughs> exactly. Like he might be the best. So he got on the phone with Steve Cohen late at night when he knows that Steve Cohen has a freaking trillion dollars and that can just drop it like a Time. He said, yeah, the Giants are just being weird. You're the Steve Cohen led Mets. You can easily do this. Imagine and we'll this even do for your team. This and is you the know, one thing you're missing. Oh, and you know what we're going to do? Yeah. We're going to knock off 35 million because I'm Scott Boris and I care about you. Whether that's true or not is another discussion. But that's and then Steve Cohen said, you know what? Yes. And then the doctors looked at the injury and said, OK, this is actually something. Yeah. But the thing is, which I think is key is that it wasn't so much something that the Mets immediately said, all right, we're out. Like they didn't say that it's not over yet. To your point, then we still have Christmas and we have this weird section from Christmas to New Year's, which I'm not even sure which a lot like, of things will get I done. Either. So did you know the Monday after? So if a holiday falls on a Sunday, then the Monday after that is a holiday as well. I didn't know it's, that. So today is, is a holiday as Boxing Day as Monday. Sorry. Boxing Day. Is that highly? That's what it's called, I think. Yeah, that's that's we're recording on Boxing Day. We're working. I had no idea. I had no idea. So, like, I I understand how that delays things as well. And it's interesting because the Giants didn't totally say no. They said, give us more time. And then when Boris said, no, I'm not giving you more time. Then they're like, all right, see ya. Now the back's against the wall for Correa's camp and Boris a little bit because it's like, okay, if it falls through with the Mets, Who's signing Correa? It's going to be the twins circling back on a shorter term deal or a much cheaper deal. We we saw the reported top offer was like 280. Or I don't know if the Giants are circling back. It seems like that that bridge is burned. So it's it's really interesting because if the Mets aren't the team that really works it out with with Correa, other than the twins at a much more diminished amount or or a much shorter duration. Who the hell else is is coming into these sweepstakes? Like, we know who it is. We know who it is. The Rockies. <laughs> yeah, which would be so. They would so do it. I'd be so <laughs> so in on that. That's the only way. Or or like you get the Arizona Diamondbacks involved here, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, but but realistically speaking, right? Like there, there's not many other candidates that are like really going to make this happen. Um, exactly. So it seems like. Steve Cohen and the Mets have a little bit of leverage here compared to where the Giants were at because the Giants, when that happened, Boris had someone to pivot to. It was Steve yeah. Cohen. Now, who's who's Boris going to pivot to? The Twins? I'd say go ahead, buddy. Go, go get their top offer. Enjoy that. And another storyline that I don't think enough people are talking about that I've been thinking about. Scott Boris needs to keep Steve Cohen happy mm-hmm. because he knows that who's going to give his clients – the most money who's he going to be able to use when he shouts out these rumors that the Mets are involved to drive up prices. If he ruins that relationship with Steve Cohen, that is really, really bad for Scott Boris. So I would agree with you. The Mets have more leverage here, but at the same time, like you said, and like I said, the Mets did come out and kind of plant their flag here. So, both sides have a little bit of leverage, yeah, but, but I wouldn't say the Mets have more. Yeah, both <laughs> sides are a little bit screwed. Okay, but so that was I, – I gave you my feeling based on conjecture. It's just kind of my my vibe, for a lack of a better word, thoughts about this situation. Do you think I'm off? Like, do you – what's your opinion on the situation? Do you think that the Giants definitely didn't just have cold feet, that they are really concerned that this injury is concerning you? Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what your perspective is on it. Yeah, honestly, like, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like, I think when you have that that red flag, even if it's not, you know, Sound the alarms. This guy's doomed. He's he's going to be peg legs in, in five years. But even when you have that little bit of concern, it almost sometimes splashes some water in your face of like, holy crap, we're giving this guy, you know, three hundred and fifty million dollars. Right. So uh, like I don't think in a vacuum it was 
we don't want to make this deal. Let's let's exaggerate an injury, which isn't what you're saying. But I'm just saying like the, the extremes. I think yeah. it's a little bit of a combination of, OK, we're making a big time signing here and a deal that can can really, really be bad or or really be the start of that next phase of our franchise. Right. And uh, we know these long term deals rarely age well um, and usually age more closer to poorly than average. And I think we're going to see some guys break that with like Bryce Harper and some of the others that I think will break that trend. But when we're seeing guys already being signed into their 40, 41 year old deals where we're like, holy crap, how are you going to pay a guy at 41 years old, 40 years old? And then you get a little bit of that red flag of like, hey, this this guy's definitely going to be feeling his leg even more than the average guy at age 40. I think that really shook them into what they were agreeing to, because when I try to explain to a casual baseball fan or my grandfather or family members that are like, what the hell are these contracts? I'm like, I can't really tell you, Gramps. Like, it's it's crazy stuff, but it's what you have to pay to keep to get these guys to play for you. So I think it's a little bit of a combination of the injury itself. And then I think the injury almost starting this this dialogue within the organization of like, are we sure we want to do this with Carlos Correa if we could go get Rafael Devers next year? We could go try to get Shohei Otani next year. We can go get, you know, make another offer. So I think if you're going to make that big time contract offer to somebody and sign somebody for that much, I think you got to be as confident as humanly possible in one of those deals. And I think it became very clear that they couldn't be as confident as humanly possible. And and that was enough to, to walk away. I think I totally agree with you. I also, you know, to, again, put on the tinfoil hat, I think there's a chance that Farhan, everything you said, I I agree with. I think Farhan could have looked at this roster because we also, we look at rosters daily. We've been looking at this Giants roster now for a while. Let's say they add Carlos Correa and it goes perfectly. How many games they win next year? 78. Okay. (laughs) So that's why I also think that is this injury actually so serious that they didn't want to invest or was it semi-serious Yeah, and that they needed zero red flags to actually do it and they got one red flag, but it wasn't that big of a red flag. And then they just said, you know what? We're not going to do it. We know this team. It's not worth it. And then the Mets, they found out about it because Steve Cohen had a martini or four. Then it was like, all right, we got to have our doctors look at it. It was like, oh, well, he does have a plate in his leg. Like, this is something we're going to sign him for 12 years. Are we sure we want to do it? And then they thought, okay, let's take the holiday to decide. And we can probably drive this price down even more, right? Exactly. And that's 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 why I don't know if it's that serious. Yeah. Right. I think it's serious in the grand scheme of, of 10 years. Right. And especially if you're the Giants, 13, you're even 13. 10 and 13 is big difference. 13. 13. You're not going to win the world series next year. If you're the giants, you're probably not going to win it the year after that. You're maybe hoping that you'll be closer to competing for a title of the year after that. So that's the thing. I think if the giants were one piece away, maybe they could justify the risk. And I think the Mets, you could justify, you could say they're one piece away from being a World Series team, right? I think they already are a World Series contender, but you get Correa on that team, they're probably the World Series favorite. So that can maybe make the Mets a bit more inspired to take on that risk because, hey, we could win a World Series right here. If, if Correa's leg is, you know, fucked up in 2030, yeah, that'll suck. But if we won a World Series in 2023, I think the pill will be much easier to swallow. And I, that's why I think the Mets and Boris and Correa will work this deal out because they can win a World Series next year. And sure, it might be shitty on the back end. He might really be banged up. But if you win a World Series, you'll do it in two seconds, especially if you're Steve Cohen. And that's where I'm at on it, too. I'm at the same place. I do think that they will work it out. I don't think that he's going to go back into the market. I don't think Scott Boris will allow that to happen. I could even see it being a 10 or 11 year deal for 300 or something. With, like with let's some just get something done. in there. Yeah. They'll put some clauses in there. They'll exactly. maybe they'll incentivize it up on the back. They'll, they'll get creative. And that's where having the greatest agent maybe ever, um, whether you agree with all of his practice or not um, is, is going to to probably help put this deal over the top because I think both parties want this thing to get done. And that seems to be the reporting around it too. Moving on to the Dalton Varsho trade before we get into the Dalton Varsho trade, Arm and I were 
talking about this when we were uh, thinking about what to talk about for this episode. And we're both kind of annoyed with Brian Reynolds right now. I think maybe even me more than Aram. And it has nothing to do with Brian Reynolds, the person. I'm sure he's just hanging out with his family on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and just practicing and doing his best. But then the entire baseball world is talking about the package. The Pirates think that they have Juan Soto and Babe Ruth combined. Yes. Pirates Twitter thinks he's the best thing since Aaron Judge. And then the rest of the market views him as a very solid outfielder. Mm-hmm. And there is a complete difference in what both sides think that this guy is worth. And now nothing is happening. I yeah. still I wrote it in my 25 predictions um, where it was I was like, this is the lamest prediction, but he ain't getting traded. The, even though even he could want a trade. He I don't even think it, it matters. Yeah, it doesn't even matter at this point because the Pirates think they have um, Hank Aaron and the rest of the league thinks that they have Brian Reynolds. Yeah. And there's just there's a difference in opinion here. But one guy who definitely garnered a big price and you and Jack kind of walked me off the ledge here because my first reaction, my first initial reaction, because again, I have been mocking Dalton Varsho everywhere. And what was funny was I got a lot of comments, a lot of DMS being like, do you really like this Dalton Varsho guy this much? You think the Yankees should pay this? You think this team should pay this? What are you talking about? This guy hit 240 last year. He's 26. What do you like about him? Well, I'll tell you what I like about him. First off, he barrels the shit out of the baseball. He's still young. He's about as good defensively as anybody in baseball. Not to say he's one of the best defensive outfielders. Well, he is. He was in the 99th percentile. Now it's above average. But the motherfucker can catch. Yeah, like- This dude can catch like he is an incredible Swiss army knife, Mm -hmm. like one we really haven't seen. I mean, obviously, he's no Shohei Otani where he can pitch and hit, but this guy can play almost every position in the outfield. And then you can move him into catcher and he's a good catcher, not just some block behind there. He is a good defensive catcher. And then on the flip side, dude hit 27 home runs, stole 16 bags, and he's still super young. Like this was really his first real season. Mm -hmm. He played 37 games as a rookie in a shortened year where he didn't really perform that well, but he was a rookie. He played 37 games. Give him a break. Then last year, as in 2020, only played 95 games. He was a little bit banged up. But, you know, he had a 755 OPS while playing a bunch of different positions. Then this year, 27 home runs. Um, He doesn't walk all that much, but the slug is there. He is a well above average base runner. He's really, really fast. Like his pop time to second base as a catcher is in the 60th percentile. This is a extremely well-rounded player with four years of control. And I knew that going in. But Aram. You and Jack talked me off the ledge because when I found out that they got Gabriel Moreno yeah. and Lordy Scurriel Jr., yeah. I said, even for me, who loved him much more than I thought everybody else did, that was way beyond what I no. thought because I imagined it because I've been mocking with the Yankees so much. I kind of imagined it as they traded Anthony Volpe. Mm-hmm. And Glaber Torres. That was kind of the comparison. Yeah. Now is Guriel versus Glaber kind of similar. Kind of similar. And then the reason I thought about it was Volpe. The Yankees are trading from a strength as they have shortstop prospects. Mm-hmm. Cub or Cubs, excuse me. Blue Jays are trading from the strength as they have catchers. Yeah. But I really want to hear your perspective because obviously I know it from text chain, but to really talk it out because yeah. my initial reaction was holy shit, that was a haul. No, and your initial reaction was correct. You know, and, and I think that's the, that's the interesting thing about it, because I, I catch myself in this pretty often and, and I have to, like, take a step back and think about it, because the trade exactly. in a vacuum, I think the Diamondbacks technically come out with more value. Right. You get Gabriel Moreno, who's been one of my favorite prospects for a long time. You know, I've been on that guy since he was in the back end of the the, the Blue Jays prospect rankings. Right. This guy is one crib. of the best hitters. You're He's in the crib. He's, he is just in incredible so you know I, that's a guy that I, I i really think you rarely see a prospect of his caliber moved but you also rarely see especially in today's game a, a team with as much catching surplus as the toronto blue jays alejandro kirk's one of the best catchers in the game then you have danny jansen who 
is better than I would say the majority of the big league starting catchers across across the league as well. He's and like a top twenty Moreno. catcher. He's a top yeah. twenty catcher probably, yeah. and he's the backup. And then yeah. you have our at just baseball number six overall prospect who is a catcher. So when I was thinking about it from this perspective, right, like Moraine, they've been trying to trade from that catching surplus for like a for a minute here. They, they've or at least been thinking about it. Sometimes you're just not going to be able to get a hundred cents on the dollar, right? Like maybe they got 88 cents on the dollar here, but they were able to get a, we know how bad the blue Jays needed a left-handed hitting outfielder and how long they wanted that. And Kevin Kiermaier, you know, when they signed him, we're like, okay, that's a good fit, but that's not what they wanted, right? That's not the left-handed hitter that they needed in their lineup. Dalton Varsho is. And Dalton Varsho now playing in a corner with Kiermaier in center and having the ability to play in center if Kiermaier is hurt or struggling or whatever, that makes that outfield elite defensively and Springer in another corner and also gives you the ability to keep Springer off, you know, get some days off. But what I will say, you know, in, in the trade in a vacuum is I think the Blue Jays realized, hey, I don't know if we're going to get a more valuable piece for one of our catchers, specifically Moreno, than a Dalton Varsho. Are we going to get 100 cents on the dollar? Probably not. But if we want to put our best foot forward here in 2023 and try to have the best team we can, instead of having some third catcher stashed in AAA for no reason, this might be our best opportunity. Because if you don't trade for Varsho, who else are you trading for? You know, maybe Brian Reynolds, but apparently the, the, the Pirates value him on a different level. Maybe Moreno's not enough for, for Dalton or for, for Brian Reynolds. Which so it's crazy because Varsho even and, has more years of control than Reynolds does, and he's a far superior defender. He's that's younger. Thing. Who would you rather have? Reynolds is the better hitter. But Reynolds who would you rather the- have Varsho or Reynolds? I, I would say with the control and the versatility and the defense. Yeah. Probably Varsho, right? I'm a Varsho guy. I think this, I mean, Colby and I, I remember we were talking about, we were talking about him when not gambling advice first got started. And it was a lot about fantasy baseball as well as gambling. Colby and I were doing these episodes in the preseason. And this was the guy who we were like, get him in fantasy because he's going to be insane. He's going to qualify at catch. He's going to qualify in the outfield. He can hit 20 home runs. He can steal 15 bags. And he outdid even our per high projections of the guy. So, and you know, I watching plenty of Diamondbacks games because you know, I always got an under somewhere and like, I watch this guy and I think he's like, he's like everything that you want from Ben Zobrist with power and he can catch. I was like, this guy is so freaking valuable for a team. So while Blue Jays fans are thinking to themselves are, I mean, okay, we got him. We traded the entire, you know, we traded our best prospect one and not just our best prospect, one of the best prospects in the game Yeah, and Guriel jr. He better be good. I'm telling you, Blue Jays fans, you got a really good one. You can look at the 106 WRC plus that he had last year and think to yourself, well, he's just a slightly above average hitter. This guy is only going to get better. Yeah. That was his first real season. And he, he, it's like WRC plus is a great stat. And it, it might be the best stat that we have for a hitter, but it's not everything. We talk about this all the time. Stats aren't everything. You have to look at other things like with Dansby. Everyone's like, well, he's a 115 OPS plus guy. Yeah, but how many shortstops hit 30 bumps? Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying. I, I you know I'm not comparing all of them, but like some things just with, you got to look at the whole great picture. Defense, right? And and this will put it in perspective, Peter, because I, I, I as you were talking about that, it spurred a thought in my head, and I was like, I wonder where he'd stack up on the Blue Jays in F4 last season. Dalton Varsho. Oh. Is. Guess what? Number one. 4.6 F4 last year would edge out Bo Bichette's 4.5 for number one on that team. Granted, if George Springer played the whole season, but that's a big if, he's been banged up a lot too, he would have led the team in F4 because he played 133 games and had a 4.2. But we're talking about now a guy that you just added to your team for a guy that was barely playing for you last year, Moreno, not due to his fault. Just for And the- there's no area for him to play. Exactly. Is he going to – was Kirk – I mean, you could trade Kirk, but Kirk – just prove proved it. himself. Just proved it. Moreno has. You're hoping it. that Moreno hits like Kirk next year. Literally, you're hoping so, Moreno becomes Kirk. Correct. So you have the Kirk. <laughs> you have him in in his present form. And the other thing is Guriel. So I thought he had two years of control. Actually, based on on the way his contract vested with his service time, I was reading something. Someone tipped me off on it. He actually only has one year of control. So that that also changes it as well a little bit. But for four years of Dalton Varsho. Yeah, and you're trading from someone that, you know, you don't subtract from your big league team. And let's be real. 
you know, the Blue Jays are looking at a World Series. That's what they want to do. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but that's what their goal is going into next year. And it's a it, it's a fair goal for that team. So I love the move. You know, I do think like where you're talking about from a vacuum, like when we first had the conversation, of course, like it's it's a pretty steep price to pay. But if they don't do it for Varsho, who are they getting? And if you hold on to Moreno going into next year, when are you going to make that move? You know, and what yeah. if he gets off to a slow start and triple? What if he gets hurt? What if something? Like, there's so many variables uh, that you might not have that opportunity. You have an opportunity to get an impact outfielder with four years of control. No brainer. And I'm really excited to see how he fits in out there. If they have him in a corner outfield, he, he might win the gold glove out there. And and we know what he can do with the stick. So just to wrap up on this trade, would you qualify it as a win-win? Because I yes. think that's where I kind of landed on. Because yeah, yeah. I would love to talk D-backs a little bit too. Like just in terms of what, what let's what talk D-backs. D-backs now. We'll talk about win-win. So real quick to wrap up on the deal on the D-backs perspective. Like this team is starting to look. I'm not saying that they're there yet, but you can see where they're going, right? Like you can see the direction they're heading. No, our number one prospect in baseball, just you know, my my favorite guy in the world, Corbin Carroll, is going to be up there from day one. Looked great last year, right? Alec Thomas is a phenomenal piece. Jordan Lawler's waiting in the wings, not far away. Christian Walker had a season that I think he's going to duplicate. I really think he found it. Jake McCarthy looks like a really good piece for them. Uh, th- they've got the pitching now starting to come together. Zach Gallon looks like an ace. And now, you know, Carson Kelly, he took a step back last year. I still think he's a great backup. And now you have that that potential all-star catcher here, but at the very least an above average regular catcher with six years of control. Like this core is starting to really come together, Peter. And they traded from a spot where, yeah, Varsho is really good. We were just singing his praises. But I think Corbin Carroll is going to be better. I think Alec Thomas is a diminished version of him, but you weren't going to get, you weren't going to get Moreno for Alec Thomas. And then they also have, you know, other guys in the fold there as well that I think all could be really good contributors for them. I'm really excited about this D-backs team, man. They might be one of my favorite teams in baseball moving forward just because I think they're going to be a lot of fun. I totally agree with you. And I got kind of made fun of. I got kind of made fun of because I I called them sneaky elite. And (laughs) maybe that's a little bit much. But you were saying, and I just want to fill in the gaps of what you were saying, because I totally agree with you. And you, you touched on kind of your favorite players. I just want to round out the lineup because tell me it's not kind of sneaky elite. Corbin Carroll in the center field could become one of the best players in baseball. He's our number one prospect. Dude slugged 500 last year, and he's the fastest player in baseball. And that was he played what? He had 115 plate appearances. Cattell Marte, one of the best. Year. He's going to be better. He's, he's going to be better. And he's 29 years old, one of the best second basemen in the sport, who can also play outfield. He's just an incredible player when healthy. Jake McCarthy came on and hit really well. And he's 25 years old. He's the guy's a first rounder. He's playing right field. Christian Walker won the gold glove and hit a bunch of dongs, hit 36 home runs. Josh Rojas at third. Their little Swiss Army knife, like the guy can play all over the infield, has one of the better gloves in that division, and it's just a very solid all-around player. He's 28 years old. Lordy Scurriel, they just put him in left field. The guy hit 291 last year. Like, he just didn't show the power. He only slugged 400, only hit five home runs, and he's kind of a streaky guy. Like, I remember... Um, we start taking his props in the second half because he's always been like a big second half guy. So I could totally see him getting off to a slow start there with the Dimex and then really coming on in the second half, just like he does every year. Then you have Gabriel Moreno, who is one of the best catching prospects. Now that Adley has graduated, Gabriel Moreno is the best catching prospect. Maybe Francisco Alvarez, but the same group. Then you have Paven Smith who rakes like he didn't have a good year last year, but he was he seventh me. overall. Yeah. He was and the then a pick. And then you have Jordan Lawler coming up. Yep. Yep. This and, team is sneaky elite. And guess who they <laughs> kind of, we kind of forget who they snagged, who could be a bounce back candidate is Kyle Lewis. They've got Kyle Lewis there. Uh, too. Like uh, I, I'm not banking on it, but like, yeah. that's just, a, it's another guy though, that you know, first round pedigree won the rookie of the year in the shortened year, which I, I discount obviously to a degree, but this guy's capable with the stick. Like there's a chance he could be good. And then again, like you don't even need Gurriel in the outfield. That guy could be your DH if Paven Smith doesn't work out because you've got Alec Thomas as well and McCarthy. So like they've got so many dudes that can play. We're talking about defensively. If you have an outfield of McCarthy, Carroll, and Alec Thomas, that is elite. 
That is an elite defense, even after subtracting one of the best defenders in the game in the outfield in, uh, you know, in a Dalton Var show. And that left side of the infield is probably the biggest weakness right now. Um, but I, I think it's going to get there, right? Josh Rojas, like you said, Swiss Army knife. Nick Ahmed can pick it at least, and we know who, who's waiting in the wings and who could be coming over. So I will say to the pitching, people might have the questions there. I think it's better than than, than people give him credit for because Zach Gowan, I think, is a, is a bona fide ace in this game. Merrill Kelly, he's not the sexiest pitcher in the world, but the guy gets, gets outs. outs, and he's he's gets just outs. a steady, steady arm. Um, and then Mad Bum, whatever. If that guy's your five, it's fine. But Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson looked good last year. And then Brandon Fott is one of my favorite pitching prospects to come up next year and make an impact. So they've got it. And then Joe Mantiply in the bullpen, a few other pieces. Mark Melanson is a bounce back candidate. Um, they've gone and made some quiet additions here and there. This team's not going to win the World Series next year. They're not going to make the playoffs next year. But they are a sneaky good team that I think could surprise everybody. And I was talking about it before, too. I'm with you here. Like, this is my team that I said we had the Mariners two years ago. We had the Orioles last year. I think the Diamondbacks are this going to be the team this year, though they might have been too loud now in the offseason that they may not be as underrated enough because I think people are starting to realize this team's pretty freaking good. It's kind of good. Sneaky elite. Maybe elite elite. is not (laughs) the right way. Maybe Danny Duffy isn't an emerging ace. Sometimes (laughs) I get ahead of myself. But what I do think is I'm very excited for Arizona baseball. And I think Diamondbacks fans haven't seen the light in a while. Yeah. In a long time. And this is the most excited about the D-backs I've ever been. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ever been. I can't think of a time I was more excited. And it's only going to get better. Like you mentioned that that really good outfield. They also got Lordy Scurriel Jr., who I still think is a good player. I still think is a good player. And like Gabriel Moreno could end up being better than Dalton Varsho. We don't know. We don't know. Gabriel Moreno in five years versus Dalton Varsho in five years. Let's see what the F war says. I'll say this. All I'll say about Moreno as we, as we wrap up the, this trade conversation is he's another guy that wouldn't surprise me if he's getting everyday reps, which I think he will. He's a one of the best bat to ball guys I've seen in the minor leagues. One of the best hit tool guys, easy 70 grade hit tool for me that I've seen in the minor leagues. And the power has been the question. We've seen him hit balls 111, 112 miles an hour. He put a hole through a wall, actually, with a line drive last year. Like The ball went through the wall and they had to call time. It was a ground rule double. Like he hits the ball really hard. He just hasn't been able to consistently find it. He's going to be playing in Colorado. The ball flies in Arizona. And if he can just tap into 18, 20 home run power, which is in the tank there. This guy could be one of the better catchers in the game. And now all of a sudden this, this team looks like a force with control for a long time, right? Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, all these guys are not going anywhere for a long time. They even locked up Marte Walker. I'm going to be interested to see what they do. I bet they lock him up too. I, I really like what they're building. Then they've got some alternate guys like Dominic Fletcher, even a Seth beer that if they could, Maybe something clicks for them. That's another guy that you could either trade or, you know, have as in case somebody gets hurt as depth at the DH outfield spot as well. And you could trade Geraldo Perdomo for whatever. Yes, correct. I, I'm never <laughs> Literally whatever. Him. That's been a top 100 guy for, for a lot of publications for a long time. I don't get that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he still has value too. Still has value. There's a couple of guys who still have value. Mm-hmm. How about the five best free agents remaining? Yes. We wrote about it on JustBaseball.com. Our guy, Leo, check it out. JustBaseball.com. We'll link the article. At the time, on the 14th, he ranked the top 10 remaining free agents. Of course, Danzy Swanson is gone. Carlos Rodon is gone. But there's still some diamonds in the rough here that will eventually be signed in the next couple of weeks. Let's start with number one. Who do you think is the best remaining free agent? I think it's got to be Nate Eovaldi, right? I, I was between Nate Eovaldi and... Gene Segura, because I, I think what Gene has just done year over year over year over year at this point, you know, you're getting an above average bat. It depends on, I guess, the eye of the beholder. But let's say you equally need a starting pitcher and a second baseman. Who would you rather have, Nate Eovaldi or Gene Segura? Needing a second baseman or needing a starting pitcher. Like I mean, I always think pitching is more informant. I'm going to get the starting pitcher because, yeah. you know, there's something about Nate Eovaldi that makes me think he's 38 when in reality yeah. he's 32. Yeah. Um, you know, he just didn't have that great of a year last year, but he was banged up, you know, had a couple injuries here and there, but three eight seven ERA. You know, he struck out almost nine guys 
per nine innings. They struck out almost a guy. Doesn't in walk inning. anyone. Doesn't walk anyone. Throws strikes when healthy. He's he, you know what you're gonna get from the guy. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that I think teams are a little bit scared of is there was a drop in velocity last year. He averaged 97 on the fastball. In 2022, average 95.7. So there is mm-hmm. that drop off, but I still think that Nate Evaldi can work at that level. Now he's not going to work at the number two level that we've seen him be at the past, but a four, a four. Yeah. Like how much worse is he than Jameson Tyon? I think he's, I don't think if he's healthy, I think he could be better. I think Tyon's consistency, you know, is, you know, kind of why you saw him get signed first, but I, I don't think he's that far off from him, man. I really don't. And that's the interesting psychology of it all, right? Like, even if he comes back next year and gives you exactly what he gave the Red Sox last year, like you mentioned, a 387 ERA, but he does it for 40 more innings. So let's say he throws 150, 160 innings at a 387 ERA, walking nobody, striking out almost a batter per nine. You'll take that any day of the week as one of the remaining free agencies. That's a guaranteed remaining free agent. That's a guaranteed number four, number five type for a really good team. I think closer to a number four type. That's got to be the top free agent remaining. And I'm pretty surprised that Yavaldi is unsigned um, because you're looking at guys like Taylor Rogers getting three year deals, albeit less AAV, you know, 33 million. But I'd give I'd give Yavaldi a two year deal. I, I would absolutely give Evaldi a two-year deal at 15, 16 mil a year. I, I I think he's a guy that can really help you. He's shown unbelievable stretches in the postseason. He's not afraid of the big game. And and I want to see him pitch outside of Fenway, right? Because he was a classic FIP guy, FIP versus ERA guy, 5.7 F4 in 2021, which would have been one of the best in the big leagues in that year. 3.75 ERA, 2.79 FIP. That's a guy that I do want to see get out of, you know, Boston and, and see him pitch away from Fenway Park and see, you know, how much better he could be because the long ball did burn him a little bit uh, last year. I, I think this guy can can really still pitch. I think there's still plenty in the tank, and I do th- think he's 40 years old as well because I remember when he was traded for Hanley Ramirez straight up, um, and that feels like it was 48 years ago for me. So, uh, but I think this guy can pitch, man. And I'm where, where, where do you think he could go of the remaining teams? I think Baltimore, like, I don't know why he's not wearing an Orioles hat already. I don't, I don't understand it. They have, they've spent almost no money. He would be one of their best starters immediately. And it's not going to cost you a seven year deal or a six year deal. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. I was about to just say Baltimore, Baltimore, because again, dealt with a home run problem. Well, in Camden Yards, you move the fences back 15 feet like and he's pitched in the NL East or excuse me, AL East. He knows how to pitch against these certain teams. He's mm-hmm. pitched uh, for the Red Sox. He's pitched for the Yankees. Was he on the Rays at one point? Yes, he was on the race. He's an AL East. He is an AL East guy. Like if I'm the Orioles, I am signing him. Also, yeah. I think the Twins should be involved. I think the Angels. They've been reported. We saw. I don't know who the report was, but the Angels were tied to him too. That's a no-brainer, I think, as well. A couple other teams. Maybe you could say the Phillies, Mm -hmm. um, because right now they have Falter as their scheduled five. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could say Evaldi gives us a better chance right now, but they don't need to. They could. They could roll with that. They have enough pitchers there, and they have some young guys coming up. So maybe they're just like you know we don't need Nate Evaldi. But those are the kind of teams I was thinking about. I was thinking about the Orioles. I was thinking about the Twins. I was thinking about the Angels, and I was thinking about the Phillies. Is there anyone else before we move on to Segura? Ah, uh, no. I, I think those are the are those are the best fits, man. And, and I like yeah. all of them. Maybe the Cardinals, but we know they're not doing it. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. no, I think those make the most sense. No, the Cardinals should do it, but they will not do it. Um, Gene Segura, another guy who I thought was forty, uh, but he's thirty-two. Yes, um, he had a good year last year. Seven twenty-three OPS, hit two seventy-seven. 10 home runs, 13 bags, 84th percentile, and that's above average. He doesn't look like that good of a defender. Like, he, <laughs> he is, he, by the numbers, he had a great defensive year. Yeah. Now, I don't think that Gene Segura, you look at him and you think defense first. I think you look at the bat and you say, whatever he gives us on defense, we like. But I think he's he's a well-rounded player at this point. Yeah. He's a good defensive second baseman who can ha- has a little bit of pop. He's now been there. He, you know, his problem was he never was not a problem. It's just he had never been to the playoffs and then he made it all the way to the World Series with the Phillies. So he's been there. And there are a couple teams now who I think could use him. He is a solid player worthy of a two to three year deal. And he can play, you know, second. He can play third. Um, What I think is fascinating with him is is 
usually with the remaining free agents, when you're this late in the ball game, it's usually like, what are we going to get? Right. Ivaldi, it's kind of, what are we going to get with Gene Segura? I think, you know, exactly what you're going to get, right? You're, you're going to get a one Oh five to, to one ten WRC plus with solid defense, which a lot of teams could use that. And I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but we're talking about remaining free agents. There's plenty of teams with work to do. And this guy in 2020, 106 WRC plus 2021, 109 WRC plus and a 3.4 F4. And then last year only played the 98 games, but 1.7 F4 and a 105 WRC plus. He's an above average hitter. He puts bat on ball. He doesn't strike out. He still can you know, make things happen on the base paths. And he's a vet. He's a vet. He's a leader. I, I would love to have this guy on my team. Like talking about even like from a Marlins perspective, I think they've, they've struck out on everybody so far. They've had players take less money to go play for other teams. Maybe you can talk Gene Segura into playing for you. Like there's a lot of teams that I think could get better from a Gene Segura, but do you see him going to a contender and, you know, maybe platooning and not seeing as much of that playing time? Or do you see him signing with with, with a kind of mid-level team that's you know, trying to get there and and maybe getting that everyday role? Because I could see him as a fit with the Marlins, right? Like, that's an example of a team that I think he would be one of their more consistent hitters from the jump. He'd be but their best I player. could also see him platooning and, and, and having a role with a winning team somewhere else and, and being a good piece for that. <laughs> No, I think that the White Sox are the team that should be getting him. That's kind of the team I'm thinking about. Their second baseman right now is Romy Gonzalez. I mean, I think they have Lurie Garcia. And the rest of their lineup is still pretty solid. You got Timmy A. You got Ben Attendee. You got Robert. You got Aloy Jimenez. You got Makata, Vaughn, Grandal, Sheets. And then your second baseman, you have Romy Gonzalez, who slash 238-257 was this slugging 352? Like, it's just not the answer. He's just not the answer. Sorry. So I think Gene Segura is the answer. You, you sign him to a two, three-year deal. It's not the, like the White Sox have done anything. They signed Ben Attendee, the largest deal in franchise history. I'm sure you have more money, Rickon. I know you do. Like, I know I you do. I still can't believe that's the biggest free agent deal ever. That, that I, I thought I was being trolled when someone told yeah, me. Like, I the feel Chicago so White Sox? Yeah. Like, they've been good. Are you kidding me? Like, And they have a good rotation. They have Cease, Lynn, Giolito, Clevenger, and Copa. Would you be surprised if this team like could win the division next year? Oh, no, they because be they have a good team. They should be good. It, it doesn't make sense. And I agree. Like They need a guy that they just know what they're getting, right? Because Luis Robert, <laughs> what are we getting? Uh, Tim Anderson keeps getting hurt, right? He can't stay on the field. Um, what are we getting from Yohan Moncada? It, he, he's been a Jekyll and Hyde guy over the last you know, couple of years. Obviously, their catching position has been a bit of a, of a mess as well with um, Grandal looking like a disaster. So I would love to just be able to pencil in for the for the White Sox, a 108 WRC plus with decent defense at second base and just helps just balance out and solidify that lineup. Bennett, that's why I like the Ben attendee move for them. Of course, it was a long deal, a little bit more money than most people wanted, but that's why I liked it for them. They just needed a guy like that. And I know you and Jack talked about that. They could use another Go get Gene Segura. I think that's a no-brainer for them. Um, and there's and he, not that many other teams that I think really make as good as good of a fit um, as as they do. Really, I would say biased because the Marlins just need anybody that can hit a baseball at a decent decent level. But the White Sox seem like that perfect fit, and they're they should be competing next year, right? Like that's the plan. You just signed Ben Attendee. You're you're obviously not rebuilding. Like let's try let's try to put our best foot forward here, and I think he could really help them do that. Grow up, White Sox. Sign Gene Zagura. Just Figure do it. it out. <laughs> All right. Next player. Uh, there's a couple other guys. Reliever two position players. Pitcher. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, because there was one that was surprising omission from our boy Leo. Um, I don't think Michael Waka is in that article. And I think it's because it's based on F4 and Waka, you know. Yeah, it's just a numbers game. He wasn't like, it wasn't his opinion. It was just like this. These are the remaining freighted ranked by F4. And this is why they're good. Exactly. And, and. Walker was only a one five F four guy um, because of he's good though he's good and I think it was just because uh, he, he had a little bit of bad at ball luck and you know the fit fit didn't love him so it drove down yeah. that F four but I mean Walker we're talking about starting pitchers remaining like if that guy's your four or five I'm not losing sleep over that either and we could probably say the same teams for Walker right I mean. I mean, Orioles Again, fucking claw. Orioles like that Michael Walker makes you a lot better too. Like, it, instead of Dean Kramer, you could start Michael Walker, right? And and that's that just seems like a no brainer to me. And I'm surprised that he is still 
on the free agent market because he had such a good year last year. And I know a lot of teams are probably looking at the analytics and saying, oh, we don't want to buy high on this guy who had a 3-3-2 ERA and a 4-5-6 X ERA and a 4-1-4 FIP. But still, a 4-1-4 FIP, if he has a 4-1-4 ERA next season, he is still one of the most consistent starters for the Baltimore Orioles. He threw 127 innings after throwing 124 innings the year before that. And, you know, I know he wasn't great in Tampa, but obviously figured something out with the Red Sox and and kind of got it back going. That's another guy that I think same culprits. We don't need to go through them all, like, but it should should have the same list of suitors. And I hope one of those teams steps up and does it. Yeah, I just think teams are looking at like, you know, he had a five ERA in 2021. He had a six, six, two ERA in 2020. Now, these are all smaller samples except for 2021, whereas 124 innings, like you said, four, seven, six in 2019, you know, with the Cardinals. I think people are looking you're gonna at side, you're going to side with the larger sample over yeah the- you're going to be like well this guy's been kind of horrible for years and then he had this good year but the analytics said he got crazy lucky like what is he even worth like he might be a one-year deal guy yeah according to teams and michael walker's thing himself what do you mean Three three two ERA. Three ERA last year. And fuck and, your analytics. And, and in 2015, I had a three three eight. 2014, three two zero. 2018, three two zero. I've done this before. I am a better pitcher than this. So that's probably why there's the clash there. And teams are like, all right, Michael Walker, if you think you're so awesome, like, then find another team. Like, they're probably not even worried about him. When in reality, even if he goes back to the four two ERA guy, he'd still be one of the better pitchers on the Orioles. He can just grind through innings. You have a great bullpen anyway. Like, use them. What are you doing? What are we waiting for? These guys are on the table. Go get them. Who do you trust more next year, Dean Kramer or Michael Walker? Uh, I'd say Walker. Yeah. Or, but here's the thing. I don't trust either of them very much. Rather yeah. have both because if one or fails, maybe one will succeed. You know who I trust more than both of them? Nathan Eovaldi. Yeah, like, there you go. There, there you go. go. If you don't want walk up, fine. Eovaldi's sitting right there. All right. Um, I think we should talk about one reliever because I think he's the best left. And I don't know if he's on the F4 rankings because, again, he is a reliever and he's not going to make it. But I do think we should talk about Andrew Chafin. Um, Chafin's been a guy now who over multiple seasons, you know, he's not going to wow you. uh, If you look at stuff like his... His fastball isn't crazy electric. He doesn't really look like an athlete. Um, But the guy year over year turns in great seasons. And while his stuff doesn't jump off the page, 89th percentile in chase rate. Like you look at his savant. It's a lot of red. He throws the sinker, the slider, the fastball. Like he had a two eight three ERA striking out twenty seven percent of batters and the advanced analytics like him. And in twenty twenty one he had a one eight three ERA. And it's not like this guy's some thirty eight year old journeyman. He's thirty two years old. Mm-hmm. Like I think this is for example, I would have given Chafin a deal over Taylor Rogers, yeah. who got three for thirty three million. I would have given him the deal. But for some reason I think the mustache and the long hair and the uh And I think the ceiling on Rogers, like people just hope you know hope that there's almost like borderline closer ability there. But I think that ship's Chafin. Yeah. I think that ship's kind of sailed. So no, I think Chafin is gonna be one of those where it's like he plugs right into a bullpen. He's a team one of the team's better lefties or probably their go to lefty out of the pen. Does really well and we're like, hey, why didn't more teams jump on this guy? What I always like from a left from a reliever period or or any arm is the combination of ability to get ground balls and strikeouts. Twenty seven point six percent strikeout rate last year, fifty one percent ground ball rate. That shows you a guy has two ways to get guys out. He can get the ground ball when you need it. He can get the strikeout when you need it. That's the kind of guy I want to get out of my bullpen because you can bring him in when the bases are juiced. You can get the whiff or he can get the ground ball. Right. Or man, man on third. He can strand that guy like there's there's. A value to that and with the sinker slider combination like you mentioned but also the four seamer at the top of the zone i'm shocked i'm shocked that nobody's picked him up and he turned down a 6.5 million dollar player option as he should have as he should earned a lot more money and i wonder if if he's really just waiting for that for that right offer because there's still so many teams that could use that lefty out of the bullpen. And you know, we could probably list almost every single team in baseball that could use Andrew Chafin. I don't think you can ever yeah. have, you know, except for maybe the Braves who have all of their, you know, really good lefties out of there. And, but I think he's a great fit for a lot of teams. And like you said, still, still plenty young for a reliever. Yeah. 80% of his outs are ground balls or strikeouts. Yeah. Eight out of 10. Sign me up for that. 32. Yeah. He doesn't throw 98. 
but everybody in your bullpen already throws 98. Don't you need a little change of pace? I That's why I love the Yankees rotation so much this year. Yeah. You have Garrett Cole throwing 100 at the top of the zone. Then you have Carlos Rodon. Same kind of pitch profile, but lefty. Then you have Nestor throwing 90. Then you have Severino back throwing gas. Then you have Montes with the splitter and all these different kinds of pitches. You yeah. need the difference. Like we were talking to, to Taylor Davis, and he was talking about how important that is in a rotation. Listen to David Cohn, same thing. Like you need a difference in looks. Chafin gives you that, especially from the left side. Yeah. Somebody should go sign Chafin. You know who should sign him? The Orioles. <laughs> yeah. Just take all the pitchers left. Just, just get Why a not? deal. You will be better and it will yeah. not be expensive. All right. Last free agent. Anybody else? So lighten uh, it up. You tell me. Elvis Andrews. Who do you want to talk about? Elvis Andrews or Trey Mancini? Oh. Um, I still Elvis can't believe Andrews. Elvis Andrews had a 3-5 war last I'd year. I'd rather have him. Ah, would, would I? Yeah, because he can play second and short and... He performed last year offensively, like even Mancini when they moved the fences back. He didn't hit that all that great with the Orioles and then didn't hit with the Astros didn't hit with and the Astros. was absent in the playoffs. Like it's, yeah. he played a little bit. I'm not, you know, I'm not I mean, putting on like he's some he choker in the playoffs, but that's what happened. Like yeah. he was absent. So yeah. I'd rather have Andrews. Now, the you know, Andrews wasn't in the playoffs either. But he came on last year and he played well. And he can he's also more versatile than Mancini is. I got a question for you. Would you rather you're the because Chicago White Sox, no brainer. He's already familiar there. He was he was playing there, right? Would you rather have at second base next year Gene Segura or Alvis Andrews? And if you say if you say Gene, I don't disagree. But I have I have a counterpoint for Elvis, even though I, I I don't have a specific answer. I could make a case for both, but I'm curious what your answer is. Yeah, I'll say Gene just so we could go back and forth because okay. I have no real opinion. <laughs> so here's my thing on Elvis is he can play shortstop. And if Tim Anderson continues to be banged up, you don't need to rapidly call up Lenin Sosa and pray that he can hold down shortstop. Right. So I'm looking at a banged up. White Sox team, maybe I'd rather have the guy with a bit more versatility, but in a vacuum, I'd rather have Gene Segura as a hitter and just as the player. I trust him more next year. Like if Elvis Andrews regresses to like a negative F four guy next year, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. No, I like I hope not. I for his sake, I hope not. And he's another guy that like you think is forty eight and is not. He's like what thirty four. Yeah. Um, but it still like moves pretty well, like above average. Good. Played great defense at shortstop last year. He's like a good player. He's like a good player, which I know he is. used to accept is a good player. Like he again, three point four F four last week. That's very that's fine. A very, very good, good player. That's like what DJ LeMay had. Yeah, like, that's a good player. Like I. I, I again, White Sox, I think perfect fit. Let's say not the White Sox. The problem is so many teams have better shortstops, right? Yeah. But if he's playing second base, he could be a, a near elite defender there. Where else could you see Elvis Andrews fitting in? Because the Angels, they have Urshela at short. And he's not a shortstop. I, why do people keep pretending? I, like, I know he play, he holds it down there. You know, yes. Like, why do, he's why, the third why, why do people keep pretending he's a shortstop? I don't. I don't know. I don't know because I do like he's the played Angels. before. I do yeah. like the Angels better than Jose Iglesias or whoever else. Like, yeah. Uh, who else? I mean, the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks could, instead of Ahmed. I would like him way more than Ahmed. I agree with way that. more. I agree with it because he can pick it too. I would like, and that helps the D backs. I think next year, just kind of for it with a wild card, right? Like expanded playoffs. See what happens. Get these guys experience of meaningful baseball games down the stretch. How are they going to flirt with a wild card? That's my only issue. You got the Padres and the Dodgers. Know, the One of them is getting in. Yeah. Then you have the NL East or you have Phillies, Braves, Mets. If, like if the, they the win, is pretty much decided next yeah, year. Yeah, which which sucks. If they but now that we're saying that. They're playing meaningful baseball. Yeah. Now that we're saying that, the Rockies will win the West. Cubs will win the Central. Yes. Marlins win the East. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm all in on that. But no, that's another team, though. It makes them better. The goal is to be better next year, right? The, the, and and again, you can trade him at the deadline if if he's performing well and your team's not good. Um, I think D-backs are a great fit. I think the White Sox are a great fit. I, I wouldn't mind to see him in Detroit, even. Um, you know, as they just continue to try to figure things out there. And I can't stand watching Javi Baez play, but obviously he's going to have to anchor shortstop for the foreseeable future. Um, there's not really many other teams that need that shortstop. 
So that's why I think he he's a great fit for both of those teams and maybe the Nationals. If the, like the Nationals should be trying to stockpile any player who they could flip at the deadline, and Elvis Andres might not have a lot of options. And if he can play every day in in Washington, albeit at second base, probably because they've got CJ Abrams at short, being able to even mentor him, work with him, um, and and then flip him at the deadline wouldn't be a bad move either. Helps make them a little bit less miserable next year as well. So that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Hopefully you all had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah, whatever holidays you celebrate. Hope you had a great weekend. That's Arm. I'm Peter. Make sure that you get your Just Baseball merch. It's in the episode description. The link is in there. Also, of course, we have more and more articles coming out on JustBaseball.com. Definitely go check out the call-up. Arm's been breaking down prospects. He's coming out with the Guardian system yes. soon. And I like how we put it on Twitter. Shocker. It's awesome. Yep. <laughs> like that. That's going to be exciting, too. You can hear all that on the call-up. And, of course, if you want any more not gambling advice you can check out my podcast not gambling advice for all the football picks follow us both on twitter it's in the episode description links are in there and with that thank you everybody say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill